0: Welcome everybody to the shop notes podcast. It's episode 22. I'm your host, Phil Huber. Today I'm joined with the usual suspects, John Doyle and Logan Whitmer. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about workshop gimmicks that actually turned out to be useful tools. So join us uh, for the shop notes podcast.
1: This episode of the shop notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques, to furniture projects, to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com.
0: Once again, this is a topic inspired by Logan Whitmer, so I'm going to have him take the lead on it because I want to see where he's going to go.
1: Sure, okay, so... I feel like in the world of woodworking, so I have a couple hobbies. Obviously, woodworking is one of them. Sure. Fishing is another. Fishing and hunting. And in fishing, we have a saying that new lures are more to catch the fishermen than the fish, right? Like, complete marketing tactic. Fish don't care. People have been catching fish for thousands of years, right? They don't really care. So... I feel like, and I got asked this uh, a few times during seminars that I would get out of the woodsmith store. Um, a couple of my online live seminars, people asked me about certain things. And I feel like sometimes that's been my answer is like, you know, honestly uh, the corrugated soles is one that always pops up. Are, no, are, yeah. the, are the, are the corrugations on the sole of a plane really doing anything? I was like, yeah, I mean, theoretically, yes, but I think it was probably more of a marketing tactic to push more hand planes. Right. Right. Um, but there's been a few things that I've found, one in particular I'll show you in a second, that I'm like, holy crap, this thing actually works, and it actually works really well. So I've, I've been telling you guys that I've been working on this poker table, okay? I've been talking about it for a few weeks now. Uh, I feel like a few months because it has been a few months. <laughs> uh, but I actually just put the first coat of oil on it last night on the top, and I think uh, tomorrow I'm going to have one of you guys help me carry it into the spray booth to spray it. But a element of this poker table was routing in some, I don't want to call them chip holders, but they're like dishes where each player would sit. So you could like have somewhere to put your phone, put your poker chips, um, maybe a bowl of popcorn. If you guys are just playing board games or whatever, you know? Uh, so I used a bowl and tray bit. Okay. And they work well, right? I mean, bowl and tray bits, Phil, you and I talked about this um, the other day when we were filming a little bit. It's they're, they're one of those bits that you, like, when you use it, it's like, I love this thing, but I hate this thing at the same time. Right? Like, they work really well to create those recesses and those dishes and stuff. Yeah, They make an absolute freaking mess. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, you really only might be removing what, like, three-eighths of an inch of material? But it goes all over. Like, my entire basement is covered in, like, walnut dust right now. Um... And they also can, if they're not sharp, they can burn, right? They can burn really well uh, or really badly. Um, Especially when you
0: go around corners, like if you hit a hard corner on a template or something like that, it's it gets a little scorchy. Yeah, and you sand.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a super hard place to sand, and that's actually where that's where I'm going with this whole thing. Um, But (laughs) you know, Phil, I know you had. uh, did what some um a mancala board for your son for right. christmas or birthday or something like that. Yeah. And that was in some liptus and it just burned. It. And it's like it's impossible. It's impossible to sand it for the most part. Um right. But there are two things I found that I'm like I bought these and I thought these were the dumbest things in the world. And they ended up being really useful for sanding these dishes. Okay. So the first is one of these stupid guys. It's one of those oscillating tools, right? And it's one of those tools that you see more in... um, Infomercials? Well, yeah, infomercials or more like in the construction market, I guess, or renovation, home renovation. Let's put it there. I mean, that's where I I see it a lot. Like, guys, zipping out drywall, you know, to put in a new gang box or something, something silly like that. Right. And there's some of these tools that I'm like, doesn't really have a good practical use in a woodworking shop not the case because this is one that i bought we we had this at the magazine for a number of years um and it never got used uh so i bought this at one of our intercompany auctions and i think i paid 10 bucks for this and i got the flashlight which is actually what i really wanted was the ryobi flashlight because it's the the cordless set i use uh at, at home um but I was like, I think I got the sanding pad with it. So I took off the blade, put the sanding pad on. This thing's freaking phenomenal. This was like, <laughs> the, it was like the perfect thing to get in and sand the bottom of those dishes. Uh, and this is not a random orbit. It's just a little vibrating like like a palm sander, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's enough that it knocked off some of those scallops and little ridges that you kind of tend to get with those bowl and tray bits. Right. Um uh, and the edges are soft enough that I could get into the corners just a little, just enough. Um, and this thing was phenomenal. And on a side note, we had another project recently that used one of these a lot. And it's one that I just finished doing corrections on. And that's our boat that's coming out. Right. Right. Mark used one of these guys. Um, so you guys will see this when uh, the next issue of Woodsmith come out. Uh, but we have a plywood boat that we built, uh, and it works phenomenal. I have the sunburn from a day of fishing to prove it. Um, but Mark, our shop craftsman, ended up using an oscillating tool uh, for a lot of jobs on that boat. So you guys will have to check out that article, see how he used it. Um, but not something I ever thought w- I would use a whole lot of, but it worked phenomenally well, and it I was super glad to have it. Right. The other one is one that I just thought about because I – was using it on the same uh, bowl and tray uh, route, recesses. Um, a number of years ago, I took a wood carving class with uh, Al Breed out at Mark Adams School of Woodwork. And he suggested we bring um, some card scraper blanks. Now, I don't remember what I had going on at the time. I, I just didn't have time to cut a bunch of card scraper blanks to cut you know, custom-profiled scrapers for the carvings we were doing. But what I did have was a credit card and a computer that I could get on Rockler. And Rockler has these micro scrapers. Okay, and I have them in my base. I didn't think about it. I should have brought them up. Um, But they have this little plastic sleeve of micro card scrapers that are like two inches long, and they have a bunch of different profiles. There's an oval, there's a square, there's kind of a flared rectangle, and then there's a tiny little gooseneck one. they work phenomenally well. Uh, They're super thin, super easy to roll a a hook off of. And it's one of those things I was like, yeah, who's ever going to use these? And then it saved my butt. It did save my butt. It saved my fingertips from a bunch of sanding. So.
0: Sure.
1: So I was super impressed. Super glad I made those impulse
0: buys. Perfect. Yeah. Phenomenal.
1: Yes, phenomenal. That's right, John.
0: (laughs) so to be clear you're not knocking ryobi as a brand it was just the Mm. oscillating tool completely totally the category itself that yes
1: yes and and honestly i had bought my dad one of these things for father's day probably seven years ago eight years ago when they first kind of came out sure um and i don't remember what we were doing but i was like oh he's gonna really love this for the product and we used it for whatever project he was Doing. I can't remember what we were doing with it. But, anyways, uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, hack job, you know, kind of uh, home remodel tool. Yeah. But nope. Love it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The Dremel tools are kind of that way too. It's like, oh, yeah, that's great for like crafting and hobbyists. And, but we found a lot of ways to, to use that in some of our projects or modify it to do, you know, more woodworking type stuff. So
0: that's cool. Yeah. I, the only, my only familiarity with the oscillating tool is how it's very similar to the tool that is used to remove casts from your kids when they break bones. Exactly, yeah. How so, you can do it at home. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Save they must, that deductible. Pays for, pays for itself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Until you have to pay and have stitches put in.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's where they get you. Although that crazy blade that they use for the cast is kind of interesting because they always show it like, this isn't going to cut you. And he's like holding his hand against it while he turns yeah. it on. And it's like, okay, that's weird. Yep. That's funny. Well, have you
1: guys, uh, you guys have any of those like things that you, you bought and you're like, this is stupid? Why did I buy this? And then it ends up working how it's like, it works how it was meant to work. I'm
2: trying to I'm trying to think back. These are probably, like, a long time ago, and they seem ridiculous now, but, like, the original Craig pocket hole jig, that was, like, the little tiny <laughs> yeah. single piece of plastic, and it's, like, that, like, the introduction to pocket holes. Is like, yeah, what's this little piece of plastic and metal gonna do? And then yeah. you do it, and you, you're making pocket holes, and it's, like, oh, this is actually pretty clever, and works out pretty well, so, I mean... Obviously, it's come a long way since the original and and whatnot, but I remember, you know, first getting into woodworking and discovering that the original Craig pocket hole jig and thinking that was pretty clever. And then um, I think moving along through woodworking, I remember when they first came out with the smaller 12-volt battery, like, drills and stuff. It's like, oh, these are for babies. And it's like, if it doesn't have a huge car battery, you know, at the bottom of it, it's not like powerful enough and then you use them and like yeah this actually works out pretty well and it's a lot lighter you don't have a yeah. car battery strapped to your hip and kind yeah. of run the drills and then and then moving on to the uh battery powered uh nail guns they've oh. come along the way too that it's like yeah. oh my gosh this is handy i don't have to power up the air compressor just to shoot a couple pin nails or or whatnot so that's kind of some of the surprise stuff that i've come along you know come across nothing Nothing too crazy, but not like the sham wow or anything that
1: but. <laughs> Well and, and to be fair, we use the battery powered stuff a lot on the show. Like the, the nailers, right. they work they work fantastic. Yeah. Like yeah, 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 you're not gonna go trim a house with
0: it. Right but if you're trimming a house, you have an air compressor you're gonna have it air nailer out right right Right. and 200 feet of hose and all that kind of stuff
1: exactly but for working on a project where you don't want to drag a hose across you know a finished work piece right that's
0: awesome yeah or run a compressor inside yeah
2: yeah run it for 15 minutes to shoot two nails
0: exactly (laughs) (laughs) no i will say that because i thought um you know it felt like for a while with cordless tools it was this kind of arms race of, you know, it starts off with, you know, 14-volt tools, and then all of a sudden it didn't take long, and we're like these 36-volt, you know, giant nuclear weapons of tools, and it's, you're right, they look like, you know, car batteries attached to the bottoms of tools, and it was like, well, the bigger the voltage, the better, man, and then with the lithium-ion batteries came out, and then you had those twelve those little 12-volt ones, like you said, John, it was like, hey, little drill, what do you want to be when you grow up? But yeah. they're the ones that we use all the time. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, and it's. I think last week I mentioned uh, I have that that 80-volt uh, cordless chainsaw from Harbor Freight. I think it's phenomenal. Like, 15 years ago, you would have never... I say you would have never. Porter Cable probably had one in the works with the huge honking battery, but... Right, you know, 15 years ago, the motors weren't there. Like, you could not have a cordless chainsaw like that. That wasn't like a plug-in, right? Right. But the technology with brushless motors is is there now. And that, I mean, yeah, that 80 volt battery's pretty. It's pretty beefy. It's like putting a uh, a lawn tractor battery into a handle, um, <laughs> but it works. It works phenomenally well for what it's used for. You know. Right. And I guess that's that's the thing is as long as you're using it for what it's designed for. A lot of these things actually work pretty well.
0: Yeah. So I have a few items that I was thinking of that were, um, kind of gimmicky. And, uh, one of the first ones is the, uh, these little, uh, doweling jigs. Rockler makes them a uh, big horn tool, makes them, sells them in variety. And they, um, they come in different sizes. Like they have a, for those of you who aren't, uh, watching this on the radio, there's a metal block that has a pair of holes in it. And then a, a acrylic guide that has three lines, a center line and then a center line on each of the two holes in the block. So they're, they're specific to, a a given size of dowel, dowel that you're going to be working with. You know, there's a lot of doweling jigs out there that try to do everything. And have replaceable inserts for quarter, three eighths, and half, and whatever. Yeah. Um, so the this Rockler one is inexpensive, and um, just does the two holes, just kind of lines up. So it just seemed like a. I don't know. A tool in search of a, of a problem kind of a thing you know well and plus i think for a lot of woodworkers dowel joinery in itself seems kind of gimmicky you know that you should be using dovetails or mortise intent and tenon or whatever um but i've used this jig in i don't know how many things in whether it's using it as a joint or if nothing else just to put a dowel in in a complex assembly just to register parts, you know, for some other kind of, um, for some other kind of joinery to back up or to interlock pieces or things like that. It's just been really nice. Um, I made a nightstand for my brother and sister-in-law or end table, I guess it was, and it was a mid-century design. And the feet that I had on it, um, the way they, the way it was cut, and I think it was just the function of the wood that I had seemed kind of brittle that the uh, legs snapped off in a move. Um, it was a clean break and long grain, but they wanted a way to be able to kind of index those parts together. So we ended up using that doweling jig. You know, you just drill two holes in one side. You have the fence that automatically registers it on the other mm-hmm. side, drill two more holes. And then, you know, you had this thing back together and it looks great and... So that was kind of a kind of a surprise and I'm, you know, it was another one of those things where it was kind of like an impulse buy where it's like it doesn't really cost that much and you know, I'll give it a shot and yeah. Now it's like uh i go out of my way sometimes to use it knowing that it's going to work <laughs> as well as it does.
1: Yeah. Well, and there's a a point to some tools where it's like it's better just to be like that's as simple doweling jig as you can get, right? Right. Like you get some oh, yeah. of these jigs. Like I have the dowel max downstairs. It's like a. It's like the Inspector gadget of jigs. You know, everything moves, and you. You know, it's like trying to assemble Optimus Prime to get a stupid dowel <laughs> joint together. So you know, there's some. There's some times where it's like, that's the best solution. Something right. simple like that.
0: Yeah, where you're just lining it up to a pencil line, you clamp mm-hmm. it in place, and you get going. Yep. So I. Yeah, I've just been surprised on how well it works. I made a. Uh, a set of doors to cover built-ins for friends of ours. And I wanted a way to just quickly make the doors. So, Mm -hmm. but I didn't, you know, like cope and stick router bits, they don't make a big enough tenon, in my opinion, to be a strong door. Um, So I just used dowels on the corners, depending on how wide the pieces were. I could do two or three or whatever. Um, And then used a slot cutter to route a slot for the panels and you know you're going from sticks to door in a pretty short amount of time yeah the other one is a a biscuit joiner okay this is an old school one from that i inherited from my dad when he got one got a newer model this is the uh the old porter cable 555 i think is what it is and uh, again, biscuit joinery seems like one of those things where it was a gimmicky tool and technique, but I found it to be kind of invaluable for plywood projects. Yeah. You know, where a, it simplifies uh, sizing of parts. You know, you're just kind of like cutting them to length. You don't have to take into account joinery and that kind of stuff. Um, and you know i used it for kitchen cabinets at my old house there were a lot of places where i just you know i was i built those out of melamine the shells uh carcasses just because the melamine on the inside was white easy to clean bright um but you need a decent way to join it together and there's no way you're going to cut like tongue and dado joints in melamine and not you know expect it to last very long so so it's nice because it's kind of like a butt joint, but there are things that register it together and you have the glue strength of the, of the biscuits that are in there. You know, sometimes you can reinforce that with screws and then you have kind of like the best of both worlds that you can yeah. just keep moving with a project without having to wait for the glue to cure all the way. And so,
1: Yeah, I've, I, you know, I've found that I really like using biscuits uh, not only with gravy, but also when I'm building tabletops. Oh, like see. gluing up wide, wide, solid wood tabletops, it works great. Just slap a couple biscuits inside of uh, each board or inside each joint, glue up, you know, three or four boards at a time, let them dry, and then you can come back and do the entire
0: top at once. So, Right. Because there you're using it to keep boards aligned over a long yeah. span. Because otherwise you're constantly putzing with clamps and pounding down yeah. proud joints and all that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and, that, and that's what I found is is if I'm, if I'm not using biscuits, I end up gluing two boards together at once. And then you're always trying to use calls to keep them even and flush and all that jazz. And it's yeah. like, you know what, you throw a couple of biscuits in there. It self-registers. The biscuits, I'm, I'm in the camp that biscuits are not a terribly strong joint, really. They're more for alignment on a lot of yeah. things. Um, I think they add some strength, for sure, especially in, like, a plywood joint. Uh, yeah. But it, they just become a, a tool to help you keep everything aligned while you get clamps on. Sure. And then it, then it doesn't matter that the biscuit's in there. So. Oh,
0: yeah. Yep. So... And then my final one was uh, a purchase. Again, it was an impulse purchase when I was at uh, the last Handworks in Iowa, which uh, moment of silence that the 2020 Handworks got canceled due to Corona. Uh, but this one, I have, a, I have an affinity for old tools and I have a, it's a folding two-foot wood ruler. So not the like sure. flippy floppy yep. six foot carpenter's kind of ruler, but you know, all folded together. It's six inches long. It's got the rule joint on the corners and then the so you pivot it out and then flip down the two the two legs. And um this one is only marked in eighths, and it's an old uh Lufkin model five fifty-one. Um uh, but frankly, I don't need to be working, and I guess on one side it is down into 16ths. But, you know, honestly, I don't need to be working that precise in terms of measurements. You know, you're more likely just to transfer lengths or yeah. part sizes. So, And that one's come in really handy because um, I found that I've been working more, uh, using more steel rulers Rather than like tape measures or the measuring tapes on tools, you know, like table saws or band saws or something like that. I find it's just a it comes from working in the woodsmith shop where the tools may or may not be calibrated to that particular blade and that particular rip fence. And
1: all of our tools are always calibrated all the time.
0: Yeah. 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 <laughs> So, I end up using wood or metal rulers. So, I have the I mean, shameless plug for the, the six, 12, and 18 inch woodsmith steel rulers. But sometimes you want something a little bit longer, you know, and the fold up ruler at 24 inches doesn't take up a huge amount of space. So, I can kind of leave it near my bench without it, you know, getting in the way. And uh, I just use it a lot now. It's kind of crazy. Yeah.
1: You know, it's funny because I actually have one of the Lufkin um, six foot fold out ones that you're talking about or seven foot, maybe seven foot. I'm not not sure. Uh, I'd have to go look. Um, I use the crap out of that thing. Like, I really like it for um, uh, the the, I guess the time I find myself using it more often than not is uh, when I'm laying out parts on roughs on board. Sure. You know, I'll, I'll have that out and I'll be marking, you know, like, hey, I know I need an inch and three quarter style. I'm going to mark two inches so I have some room to make cuts. Um, It works great for that. I love those. I love those old style uh, rulers. And a lot of times some of them can be inaccurate. I have a, I have a old hand engraved carpenter square. Sure. um, That is coming. It's like, over the 24 inches, it's off by like three quarters of an inch, at least according <laughs> to everything else I own. <laughs> Which I guess doesn't really matter if you're using the same reference every time. But, um, but yeah, I, I love some of those. Um, I've actually I was trying to find if um, one of my favorite tape measures is a old steel case tape measure. Oh. And I was like, oh, I wonder if Starrett ever made a really nice like 12 foot tape measure, um, Mm. like all steel one. Um, I haven't been able to find one. So if anybody listening knows of any, um, or any model numbers from stare uh, I would love to hear it. Um, because I feel like the old time measuring tools were built better than what we have today.
0: So I think that's it for that. I've thought of for kind of gimmicky tools that I never thought that I would use that often
1: yeah I, we have to find somebody that uses the uh, mortising attachment for a drill press i want to see if that actually works i'm Yes. does it work
0: yes does it, work? Does it not work and i actually <laughs> i was debating whether to include that one because <laughs> that one is such a third rail of discussions <laughs> uh, um i had gotten one from uh ted rafe who used to work here uh because I bought his drill press when he got a new one. Sure. And it, that mortising attachment didn't work with the the new one that he had. Uh, and he was, before he uh, was an editor for Woodsmith, he had his own uh, furniture making business for like 20, 25 years, something like that. Okay. And that was the way he made mortises, was with the drill press attachment on his drill press. So much so that he actually left pretty much left the yoke for that on his drill press all the time so then it was relatively easy to go back and forth now i don't do that but uh but i think there's uh, i think there's a lot to be said for it i've done mortises uh did an entry door for my brother-in-law and sister-in-law's house uh half inch mortises in in cherry and it worked just fine. They were, like, okay. two and a half inches deep, you know, plowed right through it. But sure. There's a lot to be said for learning how to set it up right. You know, I yeah. think, you know, it's kind of like combination tools, power tools, you know. Well, sure. the changeover takes so long. You know, it's really not that big of a deal, yeah. you know, in terms of how fast. Like, I can go from drill press to mortising in, I don't know, three minutes, maybe. Sure. Which is
1: how long it takes me to clean up the mortising machine at work and drag (laughs) it out, find the right bits and sharpen them and all that.
0: So, yeah, Yeah. not bad. You know, and you're still, you know, and that's just installing the the yoke on the drill press and getting a bit installed or, you know, basically just getting the yoke installed. And then I made a special, a dedicated mortising fence for my drill press so I could use the hold down with it. Yeah, Uh, I didn't. You know, the ones that come with it are designed just to go in the metal stock table of a drill press, and I just just don't have that. So I think that's where the mortising attachment falls down is how lame that fence is. Sure. But, you know, otherwise everything else is the same, like installing a bit, installing an auger. You know, it doesn't matter whether you have a standalone mortising machine or a drill press one. You still have to do all those same setup things. Yeah. You know, one advantage, you know, you don't get the same kind of leverage, you know, because a dedicated mortising machine usually has a big, long handle on it. But, you know, between setup and using, like, a spray bit and blade lubricant, mm-hmm. you know, that really improves things. And gotcha. Sharp bits. So, yeah. you know, I, I like it. I love it. Okay, it's just cool. works. It works really well, you know, and for the most part, like, you know, like, let's be honest, we're not doing mortises all day long no no you know and it it saves space in a shop too so yeah
1: well and that's you know i bought uh eric one of our other editors i guess our other editor <laughs> there's only three of us <laughs> uh i bought his uh delta mortiser um probably six months ago and it it's sitting in my basement still i haven't used it yeah <laughs> at some point i will
0: oh well, yeah no, I keep thinking that I'd love to get a standalone mortiser, but it's the same thing. It's like I don't I don't use it all the time, you yeah. know, and I build a good amount of traditional-style furniture. But, yep. but they're super handy. I like it. Yep. So yeah. I will be out there to change anybody's mind that wants to about this. I feel like a lot of the people who uh, who dismiss the, the drill press mortising attachment, are people that A, have a humongous, freestanding, not benchtop mortiser. Yep. And B, have never used the drill press mortiser for any amount of time, other than to like, hey, I wonder how this works. And they set it up once and it took a while. Sure. Yeah, I can see that. It's like comparing a construction truck to uh, El Camino, you know, it's like, you know, they're sort of the same, but they're not trying to do the same jobs, you know, it's just.
1: <laughs> Until they're made to do the same jobs. Same <laughs> jobs, yeah. Uh, all right, what are you guys working on? John, what are you working on?
2: Is the uh, is the fortress done? Yeah, I've kind of been putting it off, I guess. we were, We went through that, like, week of, like, it rained every other day, so I didn't really do much. And then now it's gone straight from the. You know, 75 degree weather and a little bit of rain to 93 degrees and humid. And but uh, I got to get back out there probably this weekend and get a roof on on that thing. And the thing, the problem is, is that it's all functional right now, so the kids are pretty content to play on it and, right. and stuff. So they're yeah. not motivating me as much. But yeah, I need to get get out there this weekend, get the roof on, and then we'll be. A little bit further down the road. So Yeah.
0: yeah so they are big. loving it.
2: Oh yeah, they love it. They're out there all the time. They have the grass worn out under the swings and the bottom of the slide already.
1: And perfect. So say so it's gonna be nice out this weekend. What was your what was your saying yesterday in the video studio? Skies out, thighs out. Yeah, thighs out,
2: thighs out. yeah. <laughs> Break up short shorts. Yep. There you go. to finish <laughs> it. Got to build that base burn on my legs?
0: <laughs> yeah. Bill? Uh, I have a couple of things that I'm going on right now. I finally came up with a design for my router table fence, for okay. my little compact router, uh, channeling my inner Pat Warner, okay. the uh, kind of router geek of the Internet for a long time. Uh, so I'll take a couple of photos with that, and I'll put that with the show notes page for this episode. You can see that. Um, cause I wanted something that had a smooth, continuous fence, easy to adjust, but since it's for a small router, I felt like I wanted something that had a, a micro adjust feature sure. to it. Yep. So without having to, cause it seems like sometimes you loosen the fence on, well, any router design and just the act of loosening and or tightening changes yeah. it way too much. And it, uh, so I just wanted something that I could just make fine find controlled measurements on it without being super complicated because you can go bananas pretty easily yeah you can um you know we've seen this with our own projects and i think in our own shops where you can i mean you can outsmart yourself in a very short amount of time and over engineer something so oh yeah so yep so anyway i'm kind of satisfied with it where it is now i just have to I think I have to install a couple of threaded inserts and then uh I'm gonna paint part of it to match the match the router table. Because I'm that kind of person that paints this stuff so that stuff in your workshop kind of looks similar. No, I I don't <clears throat> disown you for that at all. I, I agree. So and then uh I did a project, that nightstand project. I made that out of basswood. Yeah. And I had a bunch of had a bunch of basswood left over. So I glued it up into a blank and then cut it round, and I'm going to make a kind of a carved sculpted model of the uh, the Dragon SpaceX capsule that recently launched. So cool. I had done one last year for the 50th anniversary of the Apollo moon landing, so mm-hmm. I thought the you know it seemed kind of fitting to do a newer one.:
1: Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. cool. How's your uh, how's your rabbit plane coming?
0: Uh, I'm kind of stalled plane. out on the shoulder plane because I wore out the belt on my <laughs> on my belt sander. Like it was cutting phenomenally, you know, and it's just yeah. this constant spray of brass because we used like a, a nice free cutting brass on that sure. project. But then all of a sudden I realized like I'm spending a lot of time here and I don't really see a lot of difference. And then I felt the sanding belt on there, and it's like, oh, that's why.
1: Oh, it's emery so, cloth. <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's very highly polished right now. It's still a little too thick, and I'm so I got to get like a five pack of belts or something like that. Sure, just haven't done it yet.
1: Well, I you know I got my uh, this poker table. God, this thing has been freaking dragging. Do you guys ever get those projects just drag on and you just it's like it's like I'm I'm working on it three four five days a week. Like, not not full days, obviously, because I'm doing magazine stuff. But, like, right here and there. And it just is dragging on. But I got it uh, completely uh, sanded last night. I got it into the garage with my wife's help, thankfully. Uh, and got the first coat of, well, the only coat of CELA cell on the top. The base is in the spray booth right now, and it's sprayed. It's been lacquered. The uh, The top is... We'll get lacquered tomorrow, and then I can slap it together. So I'm pretty excited to, uh, to wrap that up. And I think Sunday I'm going to finally present it to them. So that'll be fun. Oh, Kinda cool. like When you finish one of these um, projects for somebody, you yeah. get your, you get attached to it. It's like fostering that puppy – and then it's time for it to go <laughs> back to its forever home. And you just don't want to let it go. But you know, it's for the best because you don't play poker. <laughs> so Right. <laughs> so it's, my wife was like, oh, can we just put a tabletop on that and just put it in our kitchen? I was like, yeah, you tell that to our friends.
0: Yeah. You're like, uh, this is a pretty involved table for chutes and ladders.
1: Exactly. So, uh, But no, this weekend, I actually I had my first paying sawing jobs. So that was fun. Uh, with the sawmill so i went out to uh one of our co-workers at our uh cooking magazine uh, cuisine she texted me and said hey i have my neighbor had a walnut tree taken down do you want this small section of stump that's left and it was like it was like a crotch it was i don't know five foot long and maybe 28 inches wide so i was like heck yeah i'll come out and saw it and Ended up that I had uh, two other jobs. She Haley did not pay me to saw that. That was more of a you know, hey, come get it if you want it, and I was right. going to be out sawing anyways. Uh, but then I had a guy that had a handful of ash logs that they had a tree taken down or they actually had a tree trimmed, um, which don't get me started on the whole limbwood thing because these were all limbs of an ash tree, which doesn't make the best lumber. But I think they'll be okay for the outdoor type benches he was wanting to make. Okay. Um, so, sawed those up for him, and then I had a, another guy that, uh, he had a walnut tree taken down uh, last year in his backyard uh, over by the fairgrounds in Des Moines, and the whole thing was laying there still. Uh, it, it, the limbs had been taken off and cut up to firewood, but the whole trunk from the, the first crotch all the way down to the butt was all there, and he had he had peeled the bark off. Yeah, I know, I know... <sighs> You can say it, John. <laughs>
2: Woodworking's funny.
1: I know it is. <laughs> so, from the crotch to the butt was there, and the guy had, uh, it's funny, I don't think, a lot of people don't realize how long a log will stay uh, wet. Like, sure. he's like, oh, he's like, when it, when it came down, I took the bark off, so it would dry. It's like, eh, yeah, you're not. I mean, he did do one thing by doing that. He kept bugs from getting in it because the bug won't touch it once the bark's gone. They don't, sure. you know, they won't touch it. So he kept the bugs out of it. But it's like, yeah, this is, I mean, it's not dry. I'm sorry, man. It's, you know, we'll cut it up and you'll feel it, but it's going to be very wet still. You're still going to need to let it dry. Uh, but we we cut it up and that was, that was fun getting it uh, positioned just with how his... Driveway and the tree laid out. Um, it was interesting getting it into position, but we cut the top section, then went to the butt section, which the butt section had a uh, a good like 30 inch crotch right right where a, a limb started, maybe three feet off the ground.
0: Yes, I know. I see
1: you <laughs> <club. laughs>
0: I'm just oh, watching John. Oh, it's like, I know. He's just it's there's there's one ready to fire. I yeah.
1: know there is. Uh, like but it, it was, was
0: a fourth grader.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we trimmed we trimmed that limb off so it would fit on the mill we got up there and i told the guy i told the guy up front i was like hey it's like here here's the deal you know uh for uh for me to come out and mill it's 60 bucks an hour um which is basically covering my the cost of the mill uh and my gas and i said if we hit if we hit w- nail in the tree you know it's 25 bucks for the blade is basically how it breaks down it's like you know if if we don't hit wood great you don't you know don't anything for blade or if we don't hit metal you don't own anything for the the blade but if we do it is what it is right he said yeah that's fine he's like i think he's like if we're gonna run into metal it's obviously gonna be that base and it's like yeah that, yeah that's where it's gonna be so we made probably six cuts on the log about a little over halfway through the log flipped the log over because that helps balance some of the tension in the wood and the very first skim cut man i couldn't have taken more than a eighth of an inch off the bark we hit ahead of a nail like just you're pushing along and it just goes and that's like oh yeah that was a nail and he looked at me and i was like yep there it is so we uh we found where this nail was buried and it was maybe a foot from the base of a foot from where the tree had been cut and he's like, you know what, let's just let's just cut that end off with the chainsaw. And I was like, okay. So we, we just chopped that end off. And I said, okay. <laughs> so here's the deal. I just took the bark off this side. I was like, do you do you want me to switch? It's up to you. You've paid for this blade already. Do you want me to go and make my final cuts with this blade knowing that the, the blade's going to wander a little bit? Or do you want me to put a fresh blade on knowing that we might hit more metal? And he's like, you know what? He's like, let's go ahead and just make this next cut with that blade that's on there and see what we find and I think that pass we found three nails and that left us with about a five inch thick slab and that that five inch thick walnut was probably 26 inches wide I mean it was big oh man long. and I'm like there's no way we're going to lift this I was like we have to do something with this either we chainsaw it in half or I was like you know the blade's still cutting okay it's still cutting it's not cutting okay it's cutting Right. I was like, we can make one more pass right down the center if you want and we'll just end up with what we end up with and he said, Yeah, let's do that and we hit thirteen more nails in that very center of the tree. It's like they're all they're all in an area about that big. It had to have been like a treehouse ladder step or something that was nailed on at some point. They just shot a bunch of nails into a two by four to get a step up or something, but man, it's like, Oh, that's the first uh that's the first real metal I've, I've found. I mean, I've I've hit some copper wire, and that doesn't do anything because it's soft. Um, right. But but you definitely know when you hit a hardened nail, and it, sparks go flying, and you hear that zing as the blade goes through it. So I don't think it I don't think it damaged the blade at all, besides dulling it really bad. So I'll have to right have it sharpened. But so you can have those blades sharpened. Oh them. yeah, yeah. I think they say um, the blades on this are. I think an inch and a quarter wide, okay. And they said that they can sharpen them down till they're seven eighths of an inch. Oh, okay. so basically it ends up being you can get like ten sharpenings out of a blade. Oh, that's Which, not bad. No, it's not bad. Um, it's it's almost a wash on whether you sharpen them or just order a box of new blades because a box of ten blades, I think is about two hundred and fifty bucks, um, plus shipping, so maybe you know two hundred and seventy bucks. Yeah. But getting the blades sharpened is like $14 a piece. Oh, shipping. So it's like you you do save a little bit by yeah. having them sharpened. So I will probably uh I'll probably wait till I'm down to like two or three good sharp blades and then I'll send the rest of them in to have them sharpened. So, yeah
0: now do you send them back to norwood are there local places that'll do that or
1: a couple of local places in des moines that do tool sharpening i don't know if they do bandsaw blades yeah um there i can send them to norwood there's a there's a handful basically any of the big mill manufacturers will sharpen blades um and they don't care what brand they are um and also uh oh that reminds me uh they they do sell sharpeners for at home as well sure. however we happen to have a semi-evil genius named Chris Fitch that could probably rig one up pretty easily for me. So.
0: Probably. I know because when I've done bandsaw seminars um, and instruction, people invariably ask about sharpening bandsaw blades, just regular shop bandsaw blades. And I think, you know, like old sharpening books that we have in our library – You know, they talk about doing that, but that just seems like a it's a super flexible blade. There's eighty five thousand teeth on it. And and then I saw but then I saw one guy, he's on Instagram, Clark Kellogg, he's out of Houston. He on his band saw he was using a Dremel tool to just touch up the blade, just real quick, you know, not being super precise with it, but just kind of putting a a fresh edge on each tooth and he'd just, he'd leave it on the bandsaw and then just kind of, you know, mark his starting point and then just kind of, z- 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 you know, yep. and then move the blade by hand and then you know, do half dozen or a dozen teeth. He said he can usually do that two or three times before, you know, you start losing your geometry and the set and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah.
1: Well, and it's, uh, they do sell some of those, they sell some manual bandsaw blade sharpeners for for mills that right. use a Dremel. And those are fairly inexpensive. I think they're a couple hundred bucks for one. Um, the bigger yeah. ones that actually shape the tooth and remove some of the material from the gullet, which is the big thing. Um, as you're starting to sharpen, you want to keep that gullet depth to keep clearing sawdust. Um, right. Those are between $900 and $2,000. So you'd have to sharpen a lot oh. To, to pay yeah. for it but if you were you know if i was sawmilling full time then sure it might be worth it um yeah. but it, it kind of surprised me i spend more money on my 105 inch blades for my powermatic bandsaw than i do for the sawmill that is 167 inches you know what i mean and i think it just yeah. has all to do with the size of the teeth because that big right. blade doesn't have that many teeth yeah it's like i think no. it's one tooth every seven-eighths of an inch, you know? So yeah.
0: Plus, you're buying in bulk. It's like, it's a it, lot of bandsaw blade there.
1: That is true. So, yeah, they're they're fun to coil and uncoil, that's for sure. <laughs> 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 because, like, with a, with a small bandsaw blade, it's like, okay, I can feel there's tension there, but there's not that much. With one of these big ones, like, yeah, there's a lot of tension there, and I'm not going to stop it if it goes.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness. That it's would fun. be... Be like wrestling a porcupine.
1: Basically, yeah. Yep, porcupine that can reach its arms all the way around you. Right,
0: right. (laughs) The unholy offspring of an anaconda (laughs) and a porcupine. (laughs) All right. All right, anything else you guys got working on? Things you're thinking about? John, what are you? You're down, uh, you're in the office today.
2: I'm in the studio, you know, getting ready to fire up shooting again here for the tv show so
0: cool yeah we'll be starting that next week and yep did some stuff in the video studio this week being safe and distant from each other yep Yep.
2: usually we're just distant from each other right now we're being safe so yeah
0: well i thought it was kind of funny just like the uh, just commuting like, cause I haven't been out driving much at all during this time and it just felt weird. And then to be down in the studio with you guys, it was like odd cause it was the same, but yet different. We're all oh, doing we, like this. Different... We were odd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just doing this dance to be like, okay, we're not going to be close to each other and wearing masks and all that kind of stuff. So
1: yeah. Pretty weird. Yep, that's right. We like, the, we like the weird. Yeah. We embrace
0: the weird. <laughs> we embrace yeah. the weird.
1: We you ever talked to wood- us, <laughs> it.
0: Keep the woodsmith shop weird. So. Uh. All right. I think that wraps up today's episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Uh, if you enjoy listening to the Shop Notes podcast, we'd love it for you to leave a rating and a review wherever you find your podcast. Uh, it helps us to... Know that we're being listened to besides our family. <laughs> and uh, also helps with better reviews to get the word out to other woodworkers. So if you want to share this podca- podcast with other woodworkers, you can do that by leaving uh, five star reviews and good ratings for us. And the uh, Notes page on our website at uh, woodsmithshop.com. You'll find a listing there for the podcast. And where you'll be able to see photos and links to some of the other stuff that we've been talking about, uh, especially if you haven't seen it, uh, the video version of it. And we're also on YouTube, putting the Shop Notes podcast there as well. So you can watch the whole thing in all its sausage making glory. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next week.
2: This episode of Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years, from tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects. You can find
1: it all in Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com.